Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Katie. And we're the founders of the Best Life Moms Club and hosts of That Pregnancy Podcast. We are two moms with a bunch of kids under the age of three. Five to be exact. And we know firsthand how hard it is to be a mom. So we're talking about all the topics that no one ever talked to us about. And not only is it hard being a mom, but it can be lonely and isolating, which is another reason why we're here to help moms like you know that you're not alone. Now, it's important to know that we are not doctors or medical professionals in any way. So always talk to your doctor or healthcare provider with any questions or concerns about your health or the health of your baby. We are moms sharing our lived experience and talking about all things pregnancy and life as a mom. So let's have a chat. Hello and welcome to That Pregnancy Podcast. This week, we're talking about pre-baby discussions we wish we had with our husbands. The idea for this episode was inspired by a post that we saw on Instagram by Pregnant Chicken. We thought it was awesome because we know new parents talk about baby names and car seats, but somehow we miss having some pretty important discussions that make the transition into parenthood easier on both the mom and the dad. But before we get started, I want to take a quick second just to mention that for this episode, we have created a free worksheet to help facilitate these conversations. All you have to do is go to our website, bestlifemomsclub.com, and you'll find it there. And you'll also have access to our other free resources, including the Ultimate Hospital Bag Checklist and our list of baby basics that you really need. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. So there are lots of common topics and discussions that we have once we get pregnant that we have with our partners and our friends, you know, what car seats to have, what strollers we should be looking at, um, you know, names, big discussion point. Uh, you probably have a list on your phone about questions to ask at your next doctor's appointment, but there are some questions that, I think are, or discussions and topics that I think are really important that I know I did not discuss. Amanda, did you guys have, you and Keith have big conversations or big discussions before the boys were born? So because the boys were twins and I was having a planned C-section, we kind of had to have some big discussions, but I think we wouldn't necessarily have had all of them if I was having a vaginal birth. I would say the first big discussion everyone needs to have is how are we going to make sure that the mom's body heals? A lot of the times everyone forgets about the mom as soon as the baby is born. Because I was having a C-section, we kind of needed to plan out, okay, how am I going to heal from having major surgery? And I feel that if, if I was having a vaginal birth, I don't think we would have had that discussion. We'd be like, huh, everyone has vaginal births. So, you know, you'll just bounce back like everyone else. But you really need to think like, how is my body going to heal? That's a really good point that you make with that because I know Peter and I did not discuss any type of healing. I know like I, you know, I had bought some witch hazel I had the intention of buying, like making some padsicles. I made 
some research choices, you know, of things that I found on Pinterest, which, you know, the patsicle recipes are really common. Um, and don't get me wrong. I love witch hazel. It is like my go-to, but like Peter and I never talked about, okay, like what are we going to do? How are we going to help you heal and recover from this massive trauma? To be honest, I don't think we ever acknowledged that it was going to be a massive trauma. Like, you know, the, the massive impact it has on your body. I think it was just, it wasn't out of neglect or not caring. I think it was just not even recognizing what was coming and what was going to be happening and how I was going to recover from that. If I was having a vaginal birth, I don't think we would have had that discussion. No. But because I was having a C-section, we're like, okay, we got to get me through the first six weeks so that everything heals properly and it, like it, the incision has time to heal and everything inside has time to heal. But the thing is, C-section or not, like your insides are healing. Like there's a reason why they say you can't have sex for the first six weeks and yes. that's because you are healing. You have a massive gaping hole where your placenta was in your body that is slowly healing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think moms, they just think, you know, oh, the baby's here and I have to take care of it. And they get into breastfeeding mode and taking care of the baby mode. But really there needs to be this taking care of mom mode too. And I think that's where your partner really comes into play, especially if your partner can take some time off over the first week or two when you come home from the hospital, because there are things that the dad can do to make life easier on the mom. Oh, absolutely. For, for example, like one of the things Keith did for me was he made sure that I did not change a diaper for the first six weeks. That's Which amazing. sounds crazy, but he didn't want me bending over with the incision and having something happen. So uh, he was home for two weeks and then my mom stayed with me for two weeks. So no one let me change diapers for the first six weeks. Something kind of small, but something to help me out. Yeah, like I think, you know, Peter and I had conversations of like, okay, I need you to go buy me some pads this is the pad. These are the pads I need you to buy me when you go out shopping. But there was nothing of like that significance of like recouping your body. Even meal wise, right? Yeah. Like you shouldn't be cooking or cleaning or doing anything along those lines. Definitely in the first six weeks, you need to decide like, is your partner going to take care of the cooking and cleaning? Are you going to do some freezer meals in advance? Buy some freezer meals? Could you do a meal train even if you organize it? Because usually there are friends who say, hey, let me know if I can do something. Well, send out an email to everyone and say, hey, if you want to make us a meal and uh, bring it to us on a certain date, perfect, right? Like one less thing you have to worry about. Well, like, so that, Amanda, is a really great example of kind of our next talking point that we had come up with about the next kind of big pre-baby discussion to have is what is your partner's role in daily life and routine once baby comes back? So I think that falls in, it can be broken into two ways. Like what is your partner's role going to be with the baby and taking care of the baby? But what is also the partner's, your partner's role going to be in just like the maintenance of the household and, and the maintenance of you? I think it works both ways. So, you know, the cooking, the cleaning we had talked about, I think was it last week's episode about, you know, have your husband, like have your partner do the vacuuming or the dusting. 
or clean the bathrooms or if it's making the meals. But I think it is also really important to talk about what is your partner going to do in taking care of the baby as well. Oh, definitely. Because your partner needs to bond with the baby too, right? Mm -hmm. Like what did Peter end up doing with your kids? So Peter, uh, Peter was amazing. So, you know, similar to you, we didn't have the strict rule of no diapers, but diapers were a big thing for him. Um, so it cause it was one thing that he could, he, I wasn't needed. Right. Um, so he also, we also made a point of doing a lot of skin to skin with him. He was actually the first one to do skin to skin with Freya, um, because I wasn't able to see her. Um, and also in the beginning, like when I'm pumping, it was also really great. He was the pump. One of the benefits for pumping is hard and difficult and time consuming as it was to be triple feeding the pumping allowed Peter to feed take over some feedings for me and feed both of the kids so that was really great so that he could have that bonding time that one-on-one time of feeding with with um the kids because he did it both for with Freya and he was really 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 on the ball with, with it with Freya um, because we didn't have another distraction of a, another kid, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, with Freya, he had the the book. We were writing down exactly how many, um, I don't what was the mil- measurements? It wasn't ounces. She wasn't eating ounces. At oh, that milliliters. Point. I think it must have been milliliters. Yeah. So yeah. like how many milliliters she was consuming each one and then what type of diaper, like he had the book and he was doing that. And, you know, he took over the cleaning, he took over the laundry, Um, it was pretty much anything that I, he was able to do besides not breastfeeding. He, although when we did meet, don't, don't forget when we met you and I at the birthing class, your mom said, I'm pretty sure you're ready to breastfeed, but maybe you should let your wife try with the doll. (laughs) Do you remember remember that? that? (laughs) Do you remember that? No. Yeah, because Peter funny. was, he was all, because we were learning about the uh, positionings, the different holds for breastfeeding, and yeah. he was trying them all out and practicing them with the doll, and then your mom was like, I think you got it down, but seeing as you're not going to be doing it, maybe you, should, <laughs> maybe you should let your wife try. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. With Finn, it was a little different because his role kind of shifted because we had a toddler an almost two-year-old to look after as well. So his role while still, you know, feeding and stuff, his role was really taking care of Freya a lot more than with Finn. Which makes sense. But it was, it was really great though, because it really gave them time to bond, like the two of them, Freya and Peter to bond even more. And then even though he still says like, I wish my kids liked me because they always, they're still in the, prefer mommy mode but whatever like they do kid. right <laughs> but it, it was really good right like I knew I did not have to worry about Freya when I was worried about Finn with all of his stuff and that was going on so besides breastfeeding Peter really stepped up and did every was doing pretty much everything I was really lucky but we never sat down and talked about it it was just kind of like fly by the seat of our pants and it was like oh here you go you need to make dinner tonight well, and the, the thing is, like, if you'd had the conversation, which we also didn't have the conversation, we'd had the healing conversation, but we didn't have the, okay, how's our daily life going to look and, you know, who's doing what um, and how, how is Keith going to pick up the slack? 
when he was home <laughs> because he was gone for a bit of it too. The thing is, if the dad can't do certain things or is going to feel overwhelmed by taking on the cleaning or the cooking, that's when like you could hire a cleaner. And if you, you, know, you can't afford it, maybe you could hire a cleaner for the first six weeks and sell a bunch of the stuff that you're not using anymore. Sell the golf clubs because who's going golfing? <laughs> or you could um, ask an in-law. <laughs> or, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Or you need to figure out who in your village could do some of these tasks. And, for example, my parents live close by. We've mentioned that before. And so my parents would come over and I'd find my mom cleaning the kitchen. Or, like, my dad would be upstairs cleaning a bathroom. Right. And we never actually had that conversation with them either, but my parents just knew we needed this help and that's the way that they could help us. But I think I actually would have preferred to have had the conversation with Keith and then figured out who was going to help. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think it's really important to like have the conversation instead of being so that you're proactive in this situation as of being, instead of being reactive when stresses are high, you know, anxiety is super high. I know like one thing that Peter really stepped up with, with both kids, but especially with Freya was bath time. Like I was too scared to give Freya a bath. She was so tiny and I was just like, I can't. And Peter was the one who bathed her in the little dish tub. He loved it. Like he was a bath time pro. And same thing with Finn. I was too stressed out to do it because Finn hated water like he hated bath time would scream bloody murder. And this boy, his, I don't know why we were worried about his lungs, but his lungs, like he could scream and it was just too stressful for me. So Peter would give him a, would be the one giving him the bath. And then I would, you know, console after cause it was horrible. But like, that was one thing that was his thing. And even now bath time when is still his thing with the kid. Yeah. And it's nice to have that thing that he gets to still have that bond with the kids over because bathing is intimate, right? Yeah. You're naked in a tub, like can't get too much more intimate than that. (laughs) So number three we have is sleep deprivation and sleep is really important to both of us and we are pro sleepers over here. So what are some of the things that you wish you talked about around sleep deprivation with Peter? Wow. That's a really hard one. Cause like it wasn't even a thing that we even considered sleep deprivation was really hard for, for me. And it was also something that we, it was really hard to react to for us because for both kids, I was triple feeding, right? So I was attempting to breastfeed. I was then bottle. I was either supplementing with Freya for a little bit before um, things got sorted or I was, we were bottle feeding with pump breast milk and then I was pumping every three hours. And so every, I would maybe get about maybe an hour of sleep at a time if I was lucky uh, before the next feeding. And so like sleep deprivation was a really big thing for me, but if, in every way it was on me because I was the one who was attempting breastfeeding I was the one who was pumping. I think it's very common for women who are breastfeeding, especially to end up in the same scenario that you were 
Yeah. Right. Like feeling like you need to do it all. I think too, there was also, there's also the feeling of, you know, yes, Peter had taken, took a week off once we got home from the hospital, but then he was going back to full-time work. Like he was home Mm -hmm. for a week and then it was just myself with the baby. And so there was that piece too, that he was still working full-time. So he needed to have regular sleep. I could, I kind of took on the position of like, I can piece things together uh, here and there. I function a lot better. I don't function well, but I function better on little to no sleep than more than Peter does. So it was, we kind of had those discussions, even though it maybe wasn't in the best interest for myself, there was an awareness of his needs in the situation as well. We didn't have a sit down conversation about it, but we tried to problem solve it the best we could. And ultimately I kind of just had to deal with it, which isn't great because we both you and I, we talk about sleep and how important sleep is all the time. And, and we know I recognize how important sleep is, but we just kind of figure things out and piece it together. Well, it's funny because so because I was having twins and I, we had scheduled lots of help for the first three months. For me, I ended up getting a decent amount of sleep because my in-laws are from Pickering, which is an hour and a half-ish from our house. And they would come and they would spend two nights and then they would take the night feedings because I wasn't breastfeeding. So they could bottle feed the boys. And so I was getting two nights sleep a week from month two through to month three. And that was absolutely amazing. I didn't end up getting as much sleep with Caroline, which is hilarious because you'd think twins, you you wouldn't get as much sleep with because um, I didn't have that guest bedroom because I had more children. So they couldn't spend the night at our house and Keith was working and I actually ended up with less sleep. And I kind of wish that we had talked about sleep before Caroline arrived so that we could figure out how I was going to get sleep. The thing is breastfeeding or bottle feeding. I've been hearing of a lot of women who what they'll do is their partner might work Monday to Friday, but then say Saturday night, the partner takes the feedings. So if you've been pumping you could store up a supply so that you could go to bed early, get a decent night's sleep. You still might have to wake up to pump a bit, but depending on where you are on your feeding journey. So that's interesting that you say that because that's totally jogged my memory of, you know, clearly something that I have completely disregarded, but it is, that's actually not that triggered a memory of yes, Peter did do that actually. Um, Yeah. So um, Peter would on Saturday mornings, he would take the 6am feed. So that I could try and get sleep in. Well, not a real sleep in. Like, let's be honest. It was like maybe three hours instead of one. Um, But to get a more solid chunk, he would take the six and he would take the 6am feed because it was easy enough for him to get up at six because he would, he normally would at that time he was getting up at some stupid, ridiculous at like 430 in the morning work anyway so it wasn't a big deal for him to he was still technically getting his sleep in yeah even though he was getting up at 6 a.m well and it's funny because so with the boys Keith would he goes to bed late at night so he would 
let me go to bed early. I was going to bed at like eight o'clock <laughs> and sleep without the monitor till they're 11 o'clock feeding. And then I would get up and help them feed and then we'd go to bed. So just so I could get that couple hours where I wasn't listening for the children. <laughs> and then the other thing what we would do is we had a guest room. So one of us would sleep in the master bedroom, one of us would sleep in the, the, the guest room. And then we would switch who had the babies because they were in the baby boxes. So we would just switch rooms so that one of us would listen for the babies for the three hours or the two and a half hours. And then the other one would take the next shift just so we could kind of get some decent sleep. There's ways around it, but you need to kind of think about it in advance. It's better to do it in advance than to be troubleshooting yeah. when you're sleep deprived. Absolutely. And it's, you're, you're going to be able to plan way better if you're thinking about it in advance and making a plan so that you can actually follow through on it because then you can be prepared for it. Right. I, for sure, like, you know, within things made a lot more sense because we had kind of troubleshooted the first time and figured a kind of plan of attack. And so we just kind of fit that in or tried to fit that in just with, you know, another kid. And at, you know, we were very lucky that Freya was a, a great sleeper to begin with. So um, that made a big difference. So after sleep deprivation, which is a huge piece to be talking about because that covers night feedings, who's going to be doing those, who's going to take wake ups and calming and putting back to sleep. Like those are topics that you need to consider. It all leads up to the next one. Mental health. And, you know, thinking about how do we know as partners, like how do you know if my mental health is not okay? Um, well, and- the thing is like, I think you guys, you need to have honest conversations with your partner so that you are constantly checking in with each other because your partner's mental health can take, it can take a toll on your partner's mental health as well. Like it's not just the mom, it's the dad or the partner too. You bring up a really, really good point because there is something that not many people know about male postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that experience because I know with, or when Freya was a baby, uh, I am almost certain that Peter suffered male postpartum depression and was very aware of Peter's mental health with Finn as well to avoid what we went through when Freya was a baby. Cause you're absolutely correct. Like you need to have honest conversations and those honest conversations are not enjoyable. Ultimately, oh no, they never are. They're not going to be enjoyable and they're, but they are so important because sometimes the most difficult, painful conversations are the most important to get through. And mental health is not something that we can joke about at all. It needs to be taken seriously. It needs to be talked about and it needs to be, you need to, you and your partner. And if you're going through this alone as a solo mom or as a single mom, you still need to think about these topics. You need to oh, definitely, and you need to talk about them with your village or with your support network because you can't do this alone. Ultimately, like you have to have somebody there to support you. And mental health is is such an important thing. You've talked about Amanda how you went, you were going through the baby blues with Caroline, and you were able to catch it. Yeah, I think partially because my mom's a therapist, I am like so aware of mental health and my mom will like talk about stuff. 
And my fear was always getting postpartum depression, even with the twins. And so I was always kind of like, I'd, I'd read up on it. I kind of knew the signs. And so with Caroline, when I was sleep deprived in the first two or three weeks, I remember feeling like, why did I, why did I do this again? And I was like, wait a minute, that's not a good thought to have. And then I remember thinking, Caroline's very wanted, like this was planned. She's very wanted. You know, we have the family. We, we've always wanted three kids. We've got three healthy kids. So I'm like, okay, that's not a, not a normal thought. And you need sleep. And so that night I stopped pumping because I would feed her, spend half an hour feeding her, and then I'd spend another 20 minutes pumping. And so then I'd get like two hours of sleep in between feedings. And I was the only person feeding her at the time because when Caroline was born, Keith had released this book that he wrote and he was in full launch mode leading up to Christmas to get this book sold. <laughs> so he was working like a madman while having twins and a newborn. So I took on the brunt of the feedings. And when I started to, ha when I had that thought that night, I was like, okay, you need sleep. Pumping is done. And then the next morning I told him I was done pumping and he's like, what? But you only pumped for, I think it was like two and a half weeks. And I said to him, well, I can pump longer or, but you're taking the chance of having a wife who gets depressed. And he said, okay, stop pumping. And I know I've shared that before, but I think it's important to hear that sleep deprivation really does impact your mental health. And you need to be aware of the signs of postpartum depression and the baby blues so that if you're having these thoughts and feelings that you can figure out uh, what you need to do to take care of feeling that way and you need to have a discussion with your partner and you might even need to go and talk to a professional because that's what professionals are there for. Mental health, very, very important. I wholeheartedly agree. And like, I have nothing to add to that because you're absolutely correct. It is so important. And it's, it's important to be self-aware, but sometimes you get so deep into like the murkiness and the fog of having a new baby that you aren't aware of yourself anymore. And especially when you're, when you're going through postpartum depression, you, you, you lose yourself, right? Like you are not yourself anymore and and you're not going to be aware to catch it and say like oh I'm not okay that's it's very hard for someone going through depression postpartum or any type of depression to say I'm not okay somebody else is often the person who is on and so it's really important to talk to your partner or your support to say like this is what I need you to watch for because sleep de deprivation plays a huge factor in it and your hormones. So, yes. oh yeah, it's not just sleep deprivation. No, but hormones, it adds your, to it, but, your, yeah. your, your health history, right? Like there's all mm -hmm. these things that, that are at play. So, you know, if you do have a background of depression, obviously like you, you need to be, have people more heightened aware of that. Um, well, and if you are like, have a history of depression or bipolar, I would recommend talking to a therapist and coming up with a plan before the baby arrives because there Absolutely. are therapists who deal with prenatal 
and they'll help you come up with a prenatal plan so that you thrive in motherhood or, and maybe thrive is the wrong word, but like so survive. you survive. Yeah. The first little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So mental health is a massive, massive piece. Um, it doesn't segue well, but another, <laughs> discuss- <laughs> it doesn't, but like no. another really important conversation to have is um, what are the role of the grandparents going to be? What's their role in the village? Uh, what boundaries are you going to set for them? Uh, and when I say like what role in the, the village is it going to be? It's your village, right? Keeping in mind yeah. that it takes a village to raise a child. But did you have conversations with the grandparents about what your so, expectations for them were? Well, because we were having twins, we knew we were going to need a lot of help. So right. we had to ask our grandparents for help. And so for us, we actually did have the conversation. We had the conversation with them both times because I was having a C-section with Caroline too, that we would need help for the twins. We asked for the first three months and they totally gave it to us. And for Caroline, we asked for the first six weeks, but um, I kind of wish that I'd asked for more help, not thinking I've got these two other, (laughs) two other little humans running around. Right. But uh, we did, we still did have a lot of help because my parents have always been there to help us out, especially when Keith's not around. And even my in-laws are good to come down and help out if we ask. So we did have that conversation. I don't necessarily think we had the discussion around boundaries. And for some grandparents, you'll need it more than others. My family is very close so the boundaries are not quite an an issue that it would be for some some grandparents I guess Keith and I had decided that like if our parents want to be involved with the kids lives like we're definitely encouraging it like we would definitely encourage them to come watch them play soccer and you know do the grandparent thing so We were both close to our grandparents, so we see the benefit to having uh, grandparents in the kids' lives. And I don't know, did you you guys didn't have the conversation, but I know you guys are very close with your family. Yeah, no. uh, Yet again, we did not have a conversation. (laughs) I swear we talk about things. (laughs) Well, and to be honest with you, the grandparent thing and asking for help totally probably would not have happened if I wasn't having twins. Right. Yeah. The twin thing kind of made you ask for help having one baby at first. I definitely would not have asked for help. I wouldn't have asked for anything. So no. Yeah. We didn't have those conversations. Like we had the conversations of like, what do you want to be called? Um, (laughs) to the grandparents, but, um, yeah, I'm really close with my, my family. And so, and they also live, quite close. So we were very lucky that we have a very close relationship with them. Um, My in-laws live a little bit farther away, but with both babies, like I will say like my house is, my house is always the cleanest when I have a baby because my mother-in-law comes in and just like, like spit shines everything. It is the cleanest my house ever is. Like she does an amazing job because that's the way that she can show that she is there to help. Right. Like that's, 
That's her. We, and we it don't is a ask, huge help. Oh, yeah. it's massive. And we've never said like, can you please clean our house? But that's her kind of way of saying like, I'm here. I can help. Like, let me do it. Um, we did with Freya after Freya was born. Um, Peter's mom did come and stay with us for a week. Um, and that was a big help. Like she was able to help with stuff and, um, it worked out that that week I ended up getting very sick. That's when I got really sick with my mastitis. Um, or I started to get really sick with my mastitis and, um, I was able to, you know, have some extra naps and know that Freya was taken care of while Peter was at work. Um, but no, we never had those ideas of those conversations of like, what are you going to do? We want, you know, we also view it as being really important to have our grandparent, the grandparents involved in our in our lives. And I come from a family where I had one set of grandparents who were extremely involved in my life um, and my brother's life. Uh, And then I also had one set of grandparents who were not involved. And, you know, we had little drive-through visits where we jokingly called it a drive-through visit where you know, after, <laughs> after an hour, they would be looking at their watch and say, Oh, well, it's time to go. Um, so I come from the experience of knowing, having the experience of having the amazing relationship with one set and then really not knowing anything about them besides like where their cookies were in what cupboard and where the juice boxes were. Um, which I could still tell you to this day, but I don't know much about them as people, um, which is a really big shame. And so we've made a priority of having an important relationship or trying to have that important relationship. Well, and I just want to jump in because the thing with grandparents is the grandparents are going to choose to grandparent the way they want to, right? Which kind of stems from you talking about your two different types of grandparents, right? So like sometimes people have this idea in their head that everyone's gonna just come and help out and do whatever. But like, unless you ask, people aren't necessarily gonna do it. And even sometimes when you ask, that's not what they wanna do. Like I've heard some people say, well, I raised my kids, so I'm not gonna, you know, raise my grandkids. Not that being a grandparent is raising the kids. like. Being the grandparent, in my opinion, is having fun and loving your grandkids, right? It's not necessarily parenting unless there's some reason that the kids need the grandparents to step up. Because I do have a for- former coworker who has to parent his grandson because the parents can't do it. Oh, yeah. So that, that I- does happen. I'm not not knocking that. (laughs) No, no. And I also think too, kind of the relationship of that the grandparent or the soon to be grandparent has with their child also is kind kind of sets the tone for their interaction with the grandchild as well. If you have a really tight, close family and you're involved in each other's lives, then odds are your problem. Those grandparents are probably going to be active and present in the lives. Um, So I think you know, you can look at the relationship that you have with your set of parents to see kind of where that could, could potentially go as a relationship with a grandchild. Um, And like you said, unless there's situation, you know, parenting a child and 
grandparenting a child are very different things unless they're situations. And I've seen many situations. I've had students in many different situations where they're being raised by grandparents because it happens. It happens. It is important though, because like you said, there are some situations and some family dynamics where people have to step up and say like, no, this is not your child. Yeah. Uh, I saw. And, and there's some family dynamics where you kind of thought the grandparents would be more involved and they're not. And you have to have the conversation that we would like you to be more involved. Right. I, like, and again, important, not necessarily comfortable type yes, of conversation. Yeah. You, right? you still need to say how you're feeling. Uh, if not, things won't change, right? If you don't speak up for yourself and advocate, then nothing changes. Yeah. But if you have the hard conversations, then, you know, it's more likely to go your way anyways. Or at least you said you can take the position of you've done what you can, right? I think it's, it's kind of similar exactly. along the it's kind of similar, similar along the lines of um, like people and voting. Like if you're not willing to vote, take the time to vote, then you have no time. You have no place to complain about the result, whether it's in your favor or not. If you vote, yeah. you can complain whatever the result is. But exactly. if you don't vote, yeah, good analogy, right? It's not you have yeah. no chance to complain because you have not done your part in it. So if you yep. put the, you know, you lay out what you want or what you wish the re- relationship would be you've said your piece because ultimately relationships are two way streets. And Mm -hmm. just because somebody is a grandparent doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to, they want that relationship. It all depends. There's so many things at at play. I will say that both you and I are very lucky to have our kids have two sets of loving grandparents. And we're very lucky in that. Yes. In that way. We are very lucky. Um, But again, hard conversation, but important very important. The thing is, you really do need your village. And if you call on your village before the baby arrives, it's easier because you're not scrambling and you already have the help you need in place. You also need to think of what your roles are going to be as parents. What are you going to do as a mom? How are you going to recover? And what is your partner's role going to be with the baby and around the house? You need to have a plan to get through the newborn stage and beyond together as a team. I think if you sit down and discuss these topics now, you'll be stronger and more prepared and you'll get through this transition into parenthood together. Thank you for listening to this episode of That Pregnancy Podcast. With this episode, there's a workbook that you can download for free on our website, bestlifemomsclub.com. Until next time.